As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Groom Only Podcast. Ben Standig here. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which means I'm out in Ashburn for the final practice of the 2022 season, we all didn't think that would be happening this soon, uh, but obviously things have turned dramatically here uh, in these parts, and the commander season will end on Sunday against the Dallas Cowboys. Um, apologies for a little bit of a delay here of this episode, but I make up for it with a great show. Jay Gruden back with me again to discuss, you know, what, what things where, where things have gone wrong for this team down the stretch, and a bunch of other topics related to the Commanders and the NFL, and then uh, Matt Paris and Pete Haley, Matt from of course NBC, oh, sorry, Matt from the Washington Times, Pete from NBC Sports Washington, joined me just to sort of put a recap on this week. We didn't really talk about the game per se against Dallas because obviously. The game itself is not the biggest deal, other than that we get to see Sam Howell uh, actually start. But, um, you know, had had talked with those guys about what what it's been like this week um, and, you know, about some of the younger guys, about how and a little bit about which players are we most intrigued to see when they come back next offseason. So we'll get to all that here in a moment on the Standard Groom Only podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes, Spotify, the Athletic app as an ad-free listen or anywhere you do your podcasting. Um, I, I will just mention I have a story up today on The Athletic. I tried to go back and think about how did we get here, right? It's not just the fact that Washington is you know, currently 7, 8, and 1 and at a minimum won't have a winning season for the third straight year under Ron Rivera. It's not just about the decision to play Carson Wentz last week, but obviously Carson Wentz is a consideration. It's not just about, you know, not getting a pass interference call against, uh, against the giants uh, with Curtis Samuel in the end zone um, in that, in that game that you know perhaps cost Washington um, a win against uh, a team they were battling with in the playoffs. And, you know, it's not about this or that, but so many of the decisions have gone on over time here um, over the last three years involving quarterbacks, staff, um, and even some of it just sort of 
what if situations that unfolded the way that they did, including the, the last three drafts and how Washington to a degree had an opportunity to get a quarterback or close. And in each instance, it did not happen. So go check that out on the athletic. Um, just a couple quick notes though, before I get to Jay and then the, the guys, um, <clears throat> a bunch of guys won't be playing the game this week. Um, Antonio Gibson was placed on IR on Thursday with a foot injury that it's been kind of lingering now for a few weeks. And Ron Rivera told us today that, he, that Gibson actually had surgery on that foot. Uh, didn't sound like it was super serious, but at the same time, um, you know, the hope is that he'll be back in time for the off season program that had been bothering him for a few weeks now. Um, perhaps that explains a little bit about why Gibson's, um, you know, his yards per carry, he obviously wasn't getting as many touches this year with Brian Robinson around, so his total yards were going to be less. But, you know, you know, we didn't see as many explosive plays out of him either, so maybe something there. But in any event, he thinks, uh, Rivera said he thinks Gibson should be good for the offseason program. Uh, John Allen will not play on Sunday. No surprise there because he had a knee injury last game that knocked him out for most of the game. Uh, Rivera said even if they were playing this game forward, you know, if this game truly mattered, John Allen would be a game-time decision. So doesn't think it's a big deal, but he will be uh, out as well. Uh, Cornelius Lucas, among those who will not play. Uh, so Sam Howe will have some – and Andrew Norwell may not play either. Chris Paul likely gets some run, um, if not starting, playing a lot at guard. So Sam Howe won't have some of the weapons or some of the linemen that uh, were out there with Heineke and Wentz this year. And I'm sure some of you are saying this doesn't sound like a bad thing, <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, uh, you know, veterans help. Um, so that's, that's on that. As far as guys who've been out for a while, uh, Rivera told us that JD McKissick is going to go see a specialist this off season on his neck. Uh, obviously when you're dealing with, you know, a neck injury, that's obviously a scary situation, or at least it can be. And this is two years in a row for him. So, um, that's going to be one that we'll all have to monitor for sure. Uh, Chase Ruye is, you know, has begun his, he, he's, you know, deep into his rehab. Um, but, you know, Rivera acknowledged that, look, it's two years in a row that he's had a serious injury, and there's got to be some concern there. Adarian Mathis, the second-round pick, defensive tackle, suffered a knee injury in week one. Rivera said he's looked really good with his rehab. Obviously, it's been now you know, basically the whole season, so he is, you know, well ahead of the curve. Uh, in terms of that recovery, it should be good for the off-season program. So we'll have plenty more to discuss about this team, where things go. I will just add, from a schedule perspective, Sunday is the game, obviously, in the 4 o'clock hour. Monday morning will be exit interview day or locker clean-out. So we'll all be here getting a chance to talk to the players one more time before they head out into the off-season. And then on Tuesday... We'll get a press conference with Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew. Pete and uh, Matt and I talked about this a little bit. You know, I'm not at this point anticipating anything major on the Rivera front uh, in terms of, you know, a change there. If for no other reason, it's hard to know where Dan Snyder's head is at. If he's, if the Snyders are selling the team, which is where it appears that we're headed, you know, are they really in, invested in, Making a change like that at this point, I would kind of think no, but you know, obviously you never know for sure. Um, and until they sell, you know, 
who knows? But I, that the, the, but that is the way it feels like it's leaning. I, I, I do feel like, and this is more speculation than mm-hmm. anything else, but it does feel like there could be some changes on the coaching staff. Don't necessarily know even if there are that that would happen, you know, Monday, Tuesday, or down the line. Uh, I know Rivera is going to take his time and try to figure out, you know, take a look back at the season. What went, what went right? What went wrong? You know, we, we all act like it's 100% doom and gloom. It's not. You know, they're a 500 team, but how do you get over that hump? And and that's what they've got to figure out. So we'll see about that. And I did talk about some of this in the story that I have up on the website. All right, let's get to this. We'll start off with Jay Gruden, and then we'll get to Pete and Matt. We'll do that right now here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right, uh, welcoming back our guest who's been with us through this uh, crazy season for the Washington Commanders, former Washington head coach, Jay Gruden. Uh, Jay, happy new year to you. You just told me you are not playing golf today. I should have had, I should have kept track of, uh, you know, your, we should have kept track of your golf scores throughout the year and like, you know, how, how, uh, how you were doing if, if maybe, you know, somehow we were, uh, helping or hurting your cause every, every morning by discussing things. And then you would have had to play and, uh, you know, th- these are the things I worry about. Like, I want to help your game, not, not, not hinder it. Yeah. I don't think there's any help in my game. It's always going to be the same. Never going to get better. Probably just get worse. With old age creeping in. Well, that's the spirit. Um, yeah, no, no problem. Um, well, golf is a golf is an interesting sport in that way because it is, of course, an individual sport, and it's really just you having to figure out how to battle through your own demons versus opposed to, you know, what 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 you did for most of your career of playing a football game, which is the ultimate team sport and uh it is interesting in that regard you got to rely there's nobody else to rely on it's just you to figure out how, how to get it done yeah that's right i just got to deal with my own injuries instead of my players injuries and i don't have to worry about referees <laughs> yeah exactly um well look i appreciate the time as always a, a bunch to get to of course with the commanders losing last week and ending their playoff hopes and you know from the perspective of the coach like what What's what you know? What did you see? And then, of course, like what happens next? But I, I did want to start with sort of the with the topic of the week um, right now in the NFL, and that is, of course, the Demar Hamlin situation in Buffalo. Obviously, a very scary scene where a player collapses like that on the field, has to be resuscitated right there on the field uh, in front of everybody, his teammates, everybody. Um, and then we still, at this point, we're talking on Wednesday morning. We still don't. You know, we're still waiting to hear some uh, some more definitive updates. Hopefully, he's going to he's going to be okay. Um, as a guy who has been through this, you've been a player, you've been the coach, obviously, uh, you've been around the game your whole life. What I don't know if you were watching it live or not, but what were you thinking when you saw what was unfolding? Yeah, uh, never been through something like that. I mean, that's unpreparable, in my opinion. That is just a tragic event, and um, you just come to realize how closely knit the family of football players coaches fans is when something like this happens how people rally around a kid like this and just the prayers and the 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 support that he's gotten is is crazy but you have to really give a lot of credit to the Cincinnati Bengals organization for their quick uh decision making and trying to revive them on the field and being ultra prepared for an event like this that has never happened that I can remember um so hopefully, um, with their quick actions, they revived him, and he's going to be okay. That's all we can hope and pray for. When, when 
when this was like for for all of us on the outside when we're watching this, we're just looking at this as people who observe the game. I mean, I cover the sport, but I'm not playing in it. I'm not having to make a decision to put myself in harm's way or to have others go out there under my instruction to to put themselves in harm's way. When when it was happening, did you find yourself thinking about it more as the coach, or did you think about more as the player who has to who had been out there when when you were playing? Um, college and professionally to put yourself in, in harm's way. Not, I mean, thinking uh, a broken leg or sprained ankle, not obviously that. Yeah, yeah, injuries are one thing. You know, that's the risk we take as players. But when you're talking about life or death, that's doesn't really go through our minds. All we're trying to do as players is try to reach our ultimate dream, our goal, and that's play pro football and, and, and be successful, obviously, in that regard. And um, you try to uh, weigh the pros and the cons and the risk and the reward. And the reward is much bigger than the risk but when something like this happens to a kid like that it makes everybody stop and think of the importance of this game and and uh and what what the risks are um this is real and it's uh devastating to a lot of people and, and we're just hoping and praying that the kid's okay um uh, like you said this is you know a, a, rel- a relatively unprecedented situation certainly in in modern times you know you had you were the head coach when um, when Alex Smith hurt his leg, and obviously we saw how that unfolded over time to be a life, you know, a life-threatening situation for him. But in the moment, as scary as it was, you know, injuries happen, and you know, this was a town, of course, that experienced Joe Theismann, you know, one of the uh, first prominent injuries like that that was on a it was also a Monday night game like the Demar Hamlin was. So maybe in this town we were kind of you never get used to these things, but you kind of used to it. But like how to to the degree that the Alex Smith situation was scary because of how bad the injury was, what's it like to deal with having to keep the team playing again? I know it's very different than what we're dealing here with CPR, but just alone, like how hard is it to keep the team going when that happens? And then this is, this situation is compounding that, you know, to the max. Uh, Both are very difficult. Alex was actually, there was a time where he was, in a life threatening situation too. If that thing, you know, he's a chance losing his leg, his chance of losing his life. I mean, it was a, it was a scary, scary situation uh, for everybody involved, especially Alex and his family, obviously. But uh, you know, it, it's just, you can't really explain how you deal with it. You just have to uh, deal with it. You have to hope that your faith takes over and you hope that, uh, you know, the players have their necessary people that they can talk to that they need help to uh, go through this, that uh, that's available for them. Um, but there's really, like I said, there's really nothing that you can prepare, get your team or get yourself prepared for when you go through something like this. This is just real. You got to rely on faith and that's it. So obviously the NFL had to make a decision about what to do with this game. At the moment, they have postponed, suspended it and, I don't see how they can fit it in. Again, I understand this does not practice does not matter relative to what we're dealing with 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 the players' health, but, but they haven't figured out what they're going to do yet. I'm assuming they won't play the game because where they are in the schedule, right? This is the last week of the regular season. Then the playoffs start. There is technically, I guess, the 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 Pro Bowl week where there's no game that you could push things back. But I don't know if I'm seeing that happen for one game. Um, but more importantly. Players around the league are going to have to play this week. The players, presumably on Buffalo, will still play. On Cincinnati, will still play. But even, you know, Washington against Dallas. And all these players, perhaps for the first times in their lives, had to deal with the thought of mortality out there. 
that it isn't just like we said hurting yourself but like you have to you realize kind of what could happen do you think as as again as a former player how do you everybody's different but do you think there will be some guys who will struggle to go back to doing what they do you know i remember a few years ago with the concussion uh conversation was really prominent and guys like Calvin Johnson and some others, you know, retired early. They decided mm-hmm. that they, that was not, I guess the risk was no longer worth for them. Do you, do you think that's going to be a struggle for some guys to kind of get past what they saw the other day to go back and be as reckless as you kind of need to be to play professional football? I think it's gotta be on their minds. You know, it's uh, you know, when you see this thing live and, and, and you see what can possibly happen, uh, you know, even though it is a one in a billion type, uh, instance uh the possibilities out there and it's it's scary for these guys man these guys go out lay it on the line they uh risk their bodies and and obviously um when you see something like this it it puts things into focus uh the importance of certain things in focus that's for sure uh your family uh your life obviously and uh your kids uh i think individually it's going to have an effect on different people in different ways some people will go out business as usual. Some people will weigh really heavy on their minds. And I would probably think that it will weigh on people's minds a lot more than uh, you think come Sunday or Saturday. Yeah, yeah for, for, for sure. Um, I will look, there's no obviously easy way to transition from that kind of conversation to, to, to football, but that's what we're here to discuss. So obviously you know, we're all hoping the best for, for Demar Hamlin, Hamlin and all the, all the, all the players and people involved, um, in the situation, you're going to have to go back out there this week and play. Uh, for Washington, they're going to go back out there and play a game this week that has no meaning for them relative to this season. They are eliminated from the playoffs. I don't know in all the times we've been discussing about them making the playoffs or or not or or not making the playoffs. It really, I've said this now a few times. It did not dawn on me to think that they could be eliminated. Well, let me rephrase. I knew they could be eliminated. I just didn't think that they would be eliminated before we got to the end. We kept talking about for weeks, will Dallas have anything to play for in the finale? Because they may have already, you know, clinched their their seed or whatever. And instead, it's the other way around. Uh, I guess just, you know, you've been in this situation before as a coach and having to deal with these the season ending prematurely. Are you almost, are you surprised at all that? This is where we're at. That we're not talking about even a shot at the playoffs in uh, in week eighteen. Yeah, for sure. Especially uh, you know after tying the Giants and then having a bye week, and then uh, watching the Giants get uh, smothered by Philadelphia, and then having to play Giants again. Um, I thought they were in a great situation uh, to end the Giants uh, and uh, continue on in the playoffs with that game. Uh, once they lost that game, then I think he kind of had to start to think. Um, there could be trouble. You know, that was a big loss for them. And then they had to go to San Francisco, which we know how good they are. Um, that would be a tough game. And then coming back at home against Cleveland, you'd hope they right the ship and, and uh, get a win there and, and, you know, have the playoffs well within reach. Unfortunately, they lost all three and um, they're out of it. Um, you mentioned you thought they were in a good space after um, the tie. And, and look, they were 7-5-1 and one. at that point. Uh, they were... I believe it was the, it, it fluctuated a little bit, but I think at that point they were essentially in. And you know, look, the Giants. It felt like had been the smoke and mirrors team. They had been fading a bit. Not only did they get blown up by Philly, but going into that tie, they had started to fade after their hot start in Washington and is ascending. But I was noting that, like, from not not even from the that game, you go back to they beat they so they they they, they smoked Philadelphia at Philly. 
that's the high mark of the season. The next week they play at Houston. They come out dominant first half, win that game. Then they play Atlanta the next week, and it's the game where Deron Payne has to tip the ball right at the goal line to save mm-hmm. the likely go-ahead touchdown for Atlanta. So the trend is starting to drop, but nothing dramatic. Then they tie. Now, so now the tie, we're back to like like an even mark, right? Mm-hmm. Then the next game, um, they lose because they, unlike they're on the Atlanta end of things, their play at the goal line essentially didn't, you know, didn't work when they didn't get the pass interference uh, call, more or less. Then, uh, right then they lose to San Fran, which we can almost kind of throw out because San Fran's just a better team. And then this game. They just come out. I don't know about say flat, but they just it just get progressively worse. What, as best you can see from the outside, what do you see as the reason why this trend? It was slow, but it ultimately got to where, unfortunately, where it is now, where they didn't make the playoffs. What do you see as sort of the main driving factor as why things just started the trend down the last few weeks? Well, I think uh, obviously quarterback play played a big part uh, last week. Um, you can't throw three interceptions and miss some of the throws that you missed. Uh, and then the big plays, you know, they gave up a couple of big plays against uh, Cleveland. Um, obviously a couple of big plays against the 49ers uh, and against the Giants. Um, unfortunately, um, some blown coverages against San Francisco. So it's hard to point your finger at one person or one side of the ball. I think everybody had their hands in it. Defense can't give up big plays. Uh, they didn't create enough turnovers and offense to turn the ball over. I mean, at the turnover battle, you lose a turnover battle, you're going to lose games. And then, you know, some of the referee calls that you mentioned against the Giants, the P.I. call and the stupid call on Terry McLaurin uh, cost them that game, in my opinion. So um, just unfortunate. A lot of circumstances. Um, it's a good football team. Unfortunately, they didn't get it done in December, and that's the month where you have to play your best football. And they didn't play their best football in critical moments, and that's why they're uh, playing week 18 uh, for nothing. Um, you know, it's such an interesting dynamic that we have with you where, you know, you know, you talk to, to, to me, you talk to some others in town as the former coach of this team discussing the current team and inevitably comparisons come up in part because some of the guys are still around, but you know, Ron Rivera is the guy who, who replaced you and, and it sometimes lead to asking questions that I don't really want to ask you, but like the, you guys had 2016, if you beat the Giants in the last game, you make the playoffs, and it didn't work out that way. The Giants, similar to the to the Browns, didn't effectively have anything to play for. You guys lose, and obviously that was a tough one. And it's one of those for you, probably. I'm sure the defining you know, what if moments of of your coaching career here, because if you win, you're in the playoffs and all that. Um, did, what I, I guess did you did you feel did you relive any of that stuff watching this unfold in that way? And what do you uh, you know what what's that like? when you have that thud moment where you're like, Oh shit, this is now over. Yeah. Very similar. Obviously um, that game went down to the wire. We had the ball in a two minute drill driving down the field. And uh, you know, we threw that interception in two man and uh, to Dominic Rogers, I remember it vividly. And, and uh, it was a nightmare. You know, we had, we thought we, you know, the giants didn't play a couple of their players because they already uh, clinched their spot. And uh, they still had a good team. They still had good players on defense still playing. It's not like they, we're playing third string practice squad guys. They still had some good players, but you know, um, yeah, that was, that was the toughest loss of my career for sure. We just didn't get it done in a very similar fashion. You know, we turned the ball over and I know Kirk threw another interception on the sideline there in the first half and uh, in red zone. And, and you just can't do that in critical games. You have to protect the football. 
turnovers make a huge difference, creating turnovers and getting turnovers. And when you lose those battles, momentum shifts and it's hard to recover uh, from those situations. Um, when that happened for you, it was the last game. There was uh, there was no playoff scenarios anymore. It was just winner you're in. Yeah. Uh, the last game, Ron Rivera seemed to not know that uh, – if they had lost, there was a chance that they could be eliminated from the playoffs. As I said at the top, I, I didn't, I mean, I knew it could happen because I was aware of the scenario, but I just didn't really cross my mind. He's saying he was so focused on winning and thought they would that it just didn't register. How does that work as a coach? I mean, you guys, you have a hundred things going on and I know you have people telling you stuff, but is that conceivable? Like how, I mean, how is that, how is that possible? You wouldn't know, even if you didn't know that somebody wouldn't have necessarily told you once it ended. Like once you did lose and before he comes to talk to us that you didn't, that, that didn't happen. Yeah. I think that uh, he's got to have assistance working for him to tell him all the playoff scenarios. Obviously you want to go in with a, a great frame of mind and a confident frame of mind that you're going to win the football game. And that's the only thing you're focused on. I understand that part of it, but you also have to understand the big picture of your season. What happens if uh, we don't get it done? What happens if, uh, they play extremely well. We don't play our best football. Wentz is rusty or what have you. We happen to lose. Are we out of it? Do we have to make a change at quarterback? Do we have to play hurry up offense? Do we have to be more aggressive on defense to get the ball back? Because this could be our last game. You have to know that. Um, and if the person who's in charge of giving him that information gave him the wrong information or didn't give him the information right after that press conference, I would have called Billy to the office and say, Hey, Billy, you're out of here. You didn't do your job. Right. But really, I think it's, on the coach, he's got to know the situations because it could affect play calling and, and, and events in, in the game. I mean, really. So uh, it's just an unfortunate situation. Obviously, he felt very confident they could beat Cleveland at home, but they didn't. And uh, the worst case scenario happened. Detroit and Green Bay won, which isn't too out of the realm of thinking because Detroit playing, playing good football and obviously Green Bay is on a roll and they're at home. Right. And that, that's why I'm almost surprised at myself for not really considering that I was, you know, not weighing in as much about that the potential for losing, even though, again, that we talked about it all the time because Green Bay was hot and Green Bay was, I thought they were going to win that game. And Detroit against the Bears, you know, Detroit's defense isn't very good, but they score a ton of points. And, you know, the Bears are, you know, whatever, playing out the string. So it definitely was there. But ultimately, obviously, they didn't, they didn't get it done, which is why now this week 18 game is likely to be, or is, it is, in fact, a, you're playing out the string kind of a game. Um, my assumption has been that Sam Howell plays. I don't know that they would start him, that, that starting Taylor Heineke would probably make more sense if for a couple of reasons that one, the game does matter to Dallas. And I imagine you want to, while, while you want to objectively, I don't know, use this game to look at some guys, you still, this, you know, you, you want to at least put your best foot forward as a, from a competitive perspective, at least a little bit to be fair to everybody involved because you would want it in the, in, in reverse. Is that a fair way to, to look at it? Or do you not really give a crap what, what it means for the other team? Quarterback position is a little different. Now you might want to look at the, the rookie, see how he plays um, just for your future, um, you know, for the draft, for the future. If you feel like this guy has an upside that you want to really look at next year in training camp um, and compete with maybe either Heineke or if you're going to bring back Carson, uh, maybe you want to draft a guy, whatever, but you want to know what you have in-house. And, and the best way to see that is how we place on game day. Um, but other than that, I think everybody else is going to come out and play. You know, this scary situation, which happened on Monday night, will have an effect. Uh, but 
it could have an effect where, hey, people will understand that life is short uh, and, and you got to take each day and be very thankful for each day and, and, and play your hat hard off and be really grateful for the situation and the opportunities you have uh, been given. So um, hopefully Washington understands that this is a, a division game. It's the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, it's another situation, another opportunity to go out there and prove yourself as a professional football player to your organization and to other teams if you're not going to be welcomed back uh, with Washington. So there is a lot to play for, uh, for the fans, for for yourself, uh, for your future. All right, we, we'll get to whatever Sam Howell, if he plays what what he shows next week. Obviously, we have you know he has not played this year, so we don't. I'm not going to ask you to tell me what you think of Sam Howell, <laughs> but I will ask you about the other quarterbacks. We've talked a lot about Carson Wentz. The, the the potential good the 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 flaws same with Heineke as well you know watching that game I don't know if you were watching it I know, or I don't know if you went to your uh, favorite sports bar or whatever to watch these games but um I was sitting there obviously in the press box and the second went through the, the, the his first interception it was only his second pass and then a few minutes later he takes a pass where he throws it like into the, he's throwing a swing pass to the running back and he just throws it straight into the dirt. At that point, I decided the game was largely over. Um, that, 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 that it just wasn't going to be their deal, but we see some quarterbacks make terrible plays. Taylor Heineke can make some plays where you're just like, what the hell is that? But ultimately I think after all this discussion of what's the difference between these guys, you tell me if I'm wrong here. I think it ultimately just comes down to, body language that Carson Wentz's fragility seems to show more than is expected from that position. And uh, as a human being, I can, I can appreciate that and relate to that, but on a football field, you got to have a guy back there who's, who's, who's confident and Heineke for whatever his flaws are, he exudes confidence. He's, he's not, I'm not saying he's arrogant or anything, but he plays like he's unafraid. How much do you think that is ultimately the difference between why they seem to be winning? Like not that they're playing more, I don't know, for one guy or the other, but they're winning more with one guy it just, it, because of that body language and confidence thing. Well, it has a lot to do with it. Confidence is uh, king when you're playing the quarterback position. I don't know if Carson lost confidence or just doesn't have uh, the ability anymore to make the throws that he made as a rookie or second-year guy. Uh, he's changed considerably uh, from when I saw him as a young player to now. Um He's just not making the throws that he normally would make uh, for whatever reason. I don't know what it is. Is it confidence? Is it, uh, is it fundamentals? Is it, uh, you know, the injuries that he had? Uh, something's different. And uh, he's got to get that fixed for him to revive his career. Heineke, on the other hand, plays with the reckless abandon that you like at the position. You know, when Cart- when Ty- Taylor makes a mistake, typically it's it might be just an errant throw. Um, Carson throws into triple coverage. And the first interception he threw to, to Terry – um, to, to, to Denzel Ward, there was no point in that route where that ball should have been thrown. None. I mean, there was never an instant where Terry was open. You know, it wasn't like he was trying to throw. He threw it right to Denzel. I, I just don't understand it. The second and third interceptions were bad throws, under throws. The other one was in the double coverage and just made no sense. Uh, so it's a very concerning to me. But Taylor, um, that's kind of why I thought they should have stuck with Taylor, in my opinion, because – you know, he has that little bit of moxie and that toughness where in big games he's proven last year that he can uh, compete and players rally around him. And um, it just seems like the team plays better with Taylor. But uh, they did lose a couple games. They lost to the Giants. They lost to the 49ers. He had a couple turnovers in the fourth quarter against the Giants. So I can understand why they might have thought that Carson would be better. But with all the 
things that they had on tape in the first five games. Carson was three for 22 on third down when he played before his injury. He wasn't doing it. Uh, at least Heineke gave him a spark, uh, got him in a position to get in the playoffs. Um, you just kind of wish that you let Tyler uh, finish out what he started uh, in order, you know, the way he got the team back in in playoff contention. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, obviously I've never been in this situation. I have to make that call other than for my uh, fantasy football team or something. Um, but uh, um, I understood the, the reasoning to go to Wentz that if it works out, not only does he give you more you know, scoring potential this year, but perhaps he, you know, it, it, it solidifies your thinking that he could be the guy for us next year. Instead, you're back to square one. Well, they're obviously well, back to square one. They have to have the witness of being with him at practice every day. And and he's, if he's not accurate in practice, he's not going to all of a sudden become accurate on game day. Obviously Heineke has his issues throwing the ball, but he's a tougher guy and can escape the rush a little bit better. So if all things are equal, you want that guy, you know, a guy that can a little move around and make some plays and, and play with that reckless abandonment you want at quarterback. Um, it's just, it's just odd to me the way Carson has been throwing the ball, uh, this season. Um, it showed last year when he was at Indianapolis, the last game of the year, they had to win to get in against the Jaguars, who was not a very good football team. And he had a miserable performance. And that's part of the reason why he's here. Um, so um, he's got a lot of work to do fundamentally to get himself back to be a starting quarterback in the National Football League. Right now, he just hasn't shown a lot that uh, teams will want to go out and try to get him and make him the starter. Uh, he's got a long way to go to prove that he can be a starter again. You know, when when he came, when, when the trade happened and you immediately start, you know, talking to people about it, about the situation, there was obviously sort of the, the 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 locker room stuff, the connection stuff with other people that that was discussed a lot and and all that. But in terms of the football stuff, one thing I heard over and over again was sort of the inaccuracy and inaccuracy. And for, a, for an NFL quarterback, I'm thinking, OK, maybe you want the ball, you know whatever on this particular pass you want it to be thrown over the back shoulder and this and that and it's just a little bit off as opposed to the passes are not even remotely close to the target and when we got to training camp and OTAs I mean I we we all reported and tweeted about like the 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 wild inaccurate throws were pretty jarring and you're just like wow like he's not he's like it's like the ball like 10 10 yards over the guy's head or whatever but okay, whatever. Then then the season moves on. We don't watch practice for, you know, as you know, we only see the first 15 minutes for stretching. We won't see a ton. And then he's golfed off the scene for a while because of the injury. So last week when he got back to he was the starter, within the first three minutes of practice we're watching, he sailed like two balls over somebody's head. And I was like, oh, no. Like, <laughs> like, if you, like if you can't make that throw in practice, then. Yeah, that's. Yeah, you know, I, um, Josh Allen has a tendency to sail a ball every now and then, but Josh Allen is 250 pounds and he makes a ton of plays outside the pocket. You can deal with a couple of his sailed balls. You know, that's just, okay, that's okay. That's going to happen a couple times a game. And, and that happens with a lot of quarterbacks. You know, I see Tom Brady now missing throws that he doesn't typically miss, but crunch time, he's going to make plays and he's going to make more good plays than bad plays. That's how you have to understand it. It's just Carson is not making enough good plays to outweigh the bad plays and the bad decisions, which is uh, it's just hard to believe because of the talent that he has. And you can see that he has talent. He's a big kid. He can really throw it. But um, when you're throwing 27 balls and, and 12 of them are like 
what is going on. That's that's too many. And then you're not making any plays outside the pocket with your legs or uh, uh, any of that. You know, it's just hard to to say that this guy should be a starting quarterback. Yeah, and 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 just thinking back to like your 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 era, I remember being in Richmond, and this was I think the the last. This was the year where I think you went you went to Kirk uh, instead. But I remember like at that point, part of the issue with RG three was holding on to the ball too long. There were, it was like getting teams getting giving up a lot of sacks, and there was a question of like, well, is it about the offensive line or him holding on to the ball? And watching some of the practices in training camp without like, there's no real de- was no no defense, was no pass rush. It was just throwing to receivers with like maybe a defensive back out there, and he still was like holding onto the ball for like too long and like almost like think, sometimes like throwing it away or like running with it. And I remember thinking like, if he can't do that here, then it's never going to work in the game. I don't know if you thought the same, but that was just another time where I thought, wow, I'm watching practice and it really does translate to what what what's happening in the game. Yeah, you're right. And, and the difference was Kirk never missed throws. I mean, he always threw tight spirals and balls were on target and on the money and he had accuracy and anticipation. And, and it was pretty clear and evident that he was uh, more ready at that time uh, to be the starting quarterback. And um, when you see a guy like that perform, and then you put other guys out there and you see him throw balls in the dirt, throw them high and wait, um, then you know it's pretty clear who the starting quarterback is. Unfortunately, obviously here, um, they don't have that clear-cut starting quarterback. Obviously, um, Carson does some good things. Heineke does some good things. But neither one of them uh, have been the dominant alpha male quarterback that you got to have in this league to be successful and to advance in the playoffs Uh, and that's something that obviously they have to address in the future uh to be competitive um all right well so next week if if you're still down to talk um we can get into what happens now that the season's over what what are the steps that the that a staff takes to get ready for the offseason and maybe even we'll have a playoff picture at that point maybe discuss some of that but let me just ask you this lastly before i let you go Again, I don't. It, it's such a unique circumstance to have you here as the guy who was the last head coach. One of the big questions is simply going to be: has has this team progressed in three years under Ron Rivera? If whether that they will have had zero winning seasons in three years, it may be three straight years with seven wins if they lose to Dallas. Um, you know, they had four guys make the Pro Bowl this year, which is a good accomplishment. All four of those players, though, were were holdovers from your era, and that doesn't even include um, Deron Payne and Montez Sweat. But on the other hand, you know, it's not been like a, tr- a complete train wreck or anything, and the the issues that have been going on here between the Dan Snyder stuff off the field and just a lot of other things has been, yeah, I know you went through a lot, but <laughs> been a lot going on the last few years. Has this team improved? Like has have they made real strides in the three years, or does it, or or have they really just sort of plateaued and just sort of stayed at the same level again? I know this may be a harder question to, for you to answer, but this is why you're here. Well, you look at the facts and the numbers, and they have plateaued and stayed at the same level, you know, and they haven't uh, made that jump where you know teams are like, hey, we're playing the Washington Commanders, man. We, you know, it's they're not that team. They're not that team that people are worried about that much. They have some good players, obviously. So they've done a good job in that regard, but from a win-loss perspective, which everything is judged on wins and losses and playoff wins and home playoff games, um, they just haven't got it done. So um, coaches have been fired for less. I've never been an advocate to fire a coach. I think I know how hard it is to coach and win games in the National Football League, but also know that 
bottom line is you got to win. You got to win playoff games. You got to win Super Bowls, especially at a place like this where it's expected year in and year out. And if you don't get it done, then obviously your job is uh, in limbo. And uh, I'm sure there's going to be some talks at the end of the season, what has to be done with ownership and with the head coach, uh, with quarterbacks. And those are the most three important positions, your owner, your head coach, and your quarterback. And when you're in limbo in all three, it's going to be tough to succeed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, trust me, as, as, a, as a reporter, you're right, because we're all thinking there's always just the standard off-season stuff, draft, free agency, whatever. If it's a coaching search, that's a lot more work. If it's also a GM search, which in this case it would be because he's got both hats, essentially, that's another thing. Then the quarterback is a whole other thing. And then, obviously, the ownership. So, like, yeah, there's, like, a lot of potential major topics to be dealt with. We think the ownership is going to be one. We know the quarterback is going to be one. And then the rest of it, to a degree, is still up in the air. Um, Rivera made the call on Carson Wentz. That's what he has said. He's in, He's got final say. I know for you, you had said in the past that you wish that you maybe had more say on the personnel side than, than you were than you did because Bruce Allen and others were or or on that side you 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 know you famously have said like you were told about the Alex Smith deal after the fact that I see that you said you learned about it because your son told you about it all he saw it on social media did I see that this week yeah yeah that was great I, I'm, I was fine with Alex so I love I loved Alex you know and I think we would have been very good if he doesn't break his leg but uh you know you like to be part of those conversations especially when it regards the quarterback right well and I was, I was gonna say so obviously the Wentz thing has not worked out, and I imagine we won't see him play again for this team. Um, do, do you look at that and think this is the – I mean, obviously you're probably thinking you're going to make the right calls and not have that situation, but do you ever look at it and think that's the opposite? Like, I could have had – maybe I wish I had had that, but I don't know. Th- there's the downside of, 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 of that, or you don't really you – know, even if it screws up, you'd rather have the, the, you'd rather have the say? Well, uh, you got to have it, I think, as a coach. you got to have total control. Um if you're going to put in the time to do the work and I did put in the time to study free agents in the draft, I put more time than probably anybody um, studying the draft and studying free agency and uh, trying to make your team better from a cultural standpoint, um, getting the players out of here that didn't fit um, with the team. You got to have control to get those guys out and and make sure you don't sign bad apples. Uh, You got to make sure you sign good people, good players, smart players um, are very, very important guys like Terry McLaurin, Jerron Payne, you want smart, good people on your football team, and you got to get rid of the the ones that uh, you know aren't good examples for younger players. And I wasn't able to have that control, but you know, at the end of the day, bottom line is I didn't win enough games, and that's why I'm sitting here in uh, sunny Florida, getting ready to play golf. Well, and and, and lastly, and I'll let you go, but like, th- if there's an area where Rivera seems to get some credit, is sort of helping with the culture, and and admittedly. He's he walked into the deal where like with, before he even coaches a game, you know he the, the reports come out about the uh, the poor behavior inside the building and everything that's you know followed since, and then there was the COVID year and, and everything else that's kind of gone on. But similar to the saying that the he, the, the guys who made the pro, the Pro Bowl were inherited, you know Terry McLaurin and John Allen are essentially viewed as like the leaders of the two teams uh, of the two sides of the ball on the field but also off the field because of their seemingly maturity maturity that they provide again two guys that were from your era do you think that sometimes i don't know how much you listen to any of the conversation beyond talking to us do you feel like that gets lost sometimes that 
Yeah, probably. I think everybody with all the stuff that came out after I got fired, uh, they figured it was just hell inside the locker room, but it really wasn't. We had a couple guys that uh, were talked to and, and made bigger than they were with their tweets and all that stuff to make it look as bad, uh, worse than it was. But we had pretty good, we had some pretty good guys in there. Now we had Terry, we had Jonathan, we had Duran, we had Brandon Sheriff, we had Morgan Moses. These are good people. We had Alex Smith as a quarterback. He's a great leader. Um, you know, you're always going to have a couple guys, but when the majority of your players are guys like that, they will overcome any of the uh, tough guys to deal with. And that's kind of what we had there. It just became, more publicized that the one or two guys uh, made it sound like, hey, we didn't practice hard or blah, 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 blah. Uh, but I think we had a pretty good uh, situation when I was there. Um, if we could have got rid of some of the guys that I want to get rid of, it would have been a lot better or, or sign some of the guys I wanted to. It would have been a lot better. But at the end of the day, you know, we couldn't overcome the injuries to our best players on offense. You know, we, our highest paid players didn't play. Left tackle, tight end, quarterback, second round draft pick, running back. Um, if those guys play, I think it'd be a whole lot different. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't. Uh, I hear, I, I, I hear, man. Jay, I appreciate the time as always. Um, we'll see what happens. Not so much around around here this week, but around the league and what the playoff situation looks like. And see, maybe we'll have a Sam Howell conversation. Um, get your insight on quarterbacks there as well. Uh, always appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk soon. You got it. Thanks, brother. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. All right. Uh, joining me here in the media room, the, the one of the sub side offices in the media room, which has been really helpful this year for all of us, uh, Pete Haley from NBC Sports Washington, Matt Paris from the Washington Times. Uh, you can go, of course, follow them on Twitter. Matt is at Matthew underscore Paris. Go read his Montez Sweat article today. It was really good. And uh, wait, I always forget. Is it Peter or Pete? Pete Haley, NBCS. But just go read Paris's article. I haven't put out anything good in weeks. Yeah, I kind of feel the same, to be honest. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Paris was trying to play air horn, but it, it completely just... failed. There you go. Wow, it's too soft. Um, the volume was low. So, so today we're, we're it's Friday. We're at the park. We just were in the locker room. We'll be back in the locker room for clean out day on Monday. But effectively, this was the last time that we'll be there during what well, is the last time we'll be there during the season. So it kind of feels like that last day of school vibe. Um, we'll talk about Sam Howell in a second, but. I don't know. Like, it, it, even for us, it feels weird. Like, I, I definitely feel like my energy has dropped a bit, if I'm being honest, because, you know, we had all these expectations for weeks and weeks about the playoffs, and here we are. What, we're, uh, what, what's your view of the vibe or just how, uh, I don't know, what it, what it kind of feels like now? 
Yeah, I'm. Uh, I talked to you about this yesterday, Ben. I'm glad they went on that midseason run because covering these games that don't have playoff implications, and when there's no real like quarterback or or storyline for the future that you care too much about a new head coach or anything to worth that's worth evaluating, it can be a very very dry atmosphere. And I think we saw that this week. You hear guys talking about getting chances to play, and I hope Chris Paul and those types of players dominate and have a great debut or a great first taste of real action. But for us and for the veterans who had in visions of the playoffs, for that to just be taken away here in the last week, takes the wind out of your sails and kind of just takes the sails down from the mast, and there's no sails anymore, really. <laughs> but there could be a sail in the offseason, so <laughs> what a smooth transition. Uh, uh, but in all seriousness, I do think that the – the potential sale is kind of a factor in this. You know, normally the time this time of year at the end, guys are on edge. Who's getting fired? Like, are there going to be significant changes? And everyone is just kind of in a holding pattern. I think, you know, knowing that Ron Rivera probably isn't going anywhere, barring a major surprise. Uh, I think it's really kind of relaxed some people, and they know kind of what to expect next year. Even though there will probably be at least some change. So okay, so. With the offseason here in a couple days for us, there are typically, you know, there's going to be obviously free agents in the draft in general, but there are always the major topic points that happen. There's, in this case, potential ownership change. There's the potential for a coaching change, you know, debate what Ron Rivera is or isn't, but it would be three years without a winning record one way or the other. Um, he is also effectively the general manager. That's another one. And then there's always the quarterback search. Of those four, how many do you think are actually going to be in play come this offseason? Quarterback search in play, ownership change in play, anything with Ron, not in play, except for maybe a, a slight reshuffling in the front office, but I'm not expecting that. So, But the ownership and the quarterback are, I think, the two more important ones of the four. Yeah, I mean, I know what my editors told me the other day to focus on in the offseason. It was pretty much just the ownership change. That's what everyone cares about, and... Uh, that that's what's going to be driving this offseason as much as as fun as it is to focus on football and as much as we want to focus on football i think in the big picture of things that's kind of what matters um so right in 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 the grand scheme of things nothing compares to that even quarterback right even though that's often the the huge deal um then there is the secondary stuff. Now, the roster stuff, we'll, 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 it'll take a while to figure out some of that. I think we're all probably assuming Carson Wentz won't be back, and we'll see about Taylor since he's going to be a free agent. Um, the coordinators. I, like, I, like here's my thought. If you're Ron Rivera, whether it's Dan Snyder, who, if, let's, whether Dan Snyder still is invested in this team to, for these kinds of decisions because you know, he may be on the verge of selling, or it's a new owner, I think you have got to come in with, if you're Rivera, with something different. You can't run it back again, which leads to the question of what does that mean? Uh, is a position coach enough? Is a coordinator? I, I, I would think you'd have to at least wonder about Scott Turner and others on offense because we all know the stories of the quarterbacks. What is Sam Howe going to be? The 10th different one that Terry's had since 2019 um, and Ron came the next year. But at some point, you know, Brock Purdy's going in there and making plays. So, you know, what's the deal? So I, I do wonder about that. I'm not ready to go so far as to say it definitely will happen, but I'd be surprised if something doesn't happen and, and Scott Turner would feel like the most likely candidate. Yeah, I asked Ron about his thoughts on Scott's performance, and Ron gave a pretty short answer. I don't think that was necessarily Ron being angry about what Scott's done. I think it was Ron more so just trying to be careful and not do one of those things where he rambles and maybe lets an honest thing slip or, or just gives us more quotes to chew on. It was basically 
think we had our moments and that's basically all he said and uh he looked a little terse but again i wouldn't read too much into that however i think scott will be the fall guy del rio's done a good enough job with the defense this year uh last year he was not trending the right way but this year he's corrected things and that unit has been the backbone of his team uh but turner is a big enough name he's been at the center of a lot of fans ire and that is uh the next step you can't do another position coach you did that with sam mills now you got to up the ante and i think it's going to be scott and you got if you're going to do a position coach it can't be during training camp (laughs) right no i mean look this offense regressed from last year as much as the defense improved you know washington's on track to finish 28th in offensive dvoa they were 21st last year uh the first year with alex smith and dwayne haskins and everyone that offense wasn't very good either and you know, I think the knack, I think the thing with Scott Turner is he is a very nice play designer. He puts players in a position to get open. It's just the, the flow of the game. Does that hurt them? How much are they adapting on the fly? How stubborn mm-hmm. are they are with their, their principles of what they're trying to do? And, you know, I, I think there are legitimate criticisms to be lobbied of those things. And that's where you start talking about job statuses because last year we praised scott turner for adapting to this run heavy offense and this year you know he's drawn some criticism for maybe sticking by it too much all right it's that's it's almost crazy i mean i know there have been injuries and like brian robinson and Jahan dodson didn't play all year but you add those two guys curtis samuel plays the whole year and yet the, the a lot of the offense numbers are, are no better or worse that's almost seems yeah. impossible it does go to show i think that the offensive line took a step back to me that's just ultimately the biggest weakness of the year and while quarterback is the thing they have to solve the offensive line's got to be somewhere they make an investment in when when ron tries to sell quarterbacks on showing up this offseason will he say this was the o-line that was ranked sixth in 2021 for pff yeah. i haven't got the numbers yet for 2022 so we'll just go with those instead all right here's a serious but not serious question we can debate uh, it, that either Alex Smith or Taylor Heineke has been the best quarterback of this era. Obviously, Taylor played a lot more games. I have no idea who is third it, it, <laughs> since Rivera. Like To the point that if Sam Howe went out this week in one game and had a sort of Brock Purdy-like performance, he might be the answer. Because I really don't know. And it's just to the point of the frustration that they've had. And it's to give a little get Scott a little bit of a pass. Because I, I they just have had nothing consistent. But at the same point, you can't just keep going back to that. Uh, you know, you, other teams have the same issues, and you have to figure out a way to to, to make it work. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the third might have been might be Carson. Honestly, I mean, the highs are really high. The lows of Carson though would probably be last. It's just you know, it. I have, that, that's a good question. Yeah, I hear you. It is you clearly. I mean, a quarterback can elevate a coach, and he can tank a coach when there isn't one there. But. Scott hasn't shown any ability to rise above that, and not many can, but when you've had three years and you haven't really shown any sort of progress of of, of being able to survive without that quarterback, then I think you got to try and find a coach who's able to, and then if you pair that smarter coach with the quarterback, then, woo, we maybe we'll have some points here. Uh, I have a question. Do you guys think if Turner's fired – Will Rivera look within that same tree, like a, a Greg Olson, or like a, you know, the the type of Air Coyle offense, or do you think, you know, someone like uh, who runs a completely different style of offense, a uh, a Shanahan type? Like, do you think Rivera is open to a change of actually what the scheme is? Hmm. Well, I've already looked to see that you know, who was his coordinator. Yeah, yeah. Right. Mike Chonsky or Mike yeah, Shula yeah. was one, yeah, and Shula, he's up yes. in Buffalo. I think the problem with that is. If you're that 
outside person and you're looking at this situation, are you? How long are you here? Well, I mean, if if they have, I mean, with a new owner coming in, Rivera could be out hypothetically immediately, or you know, a, another year unless they were to win. So it's a tough spot. So you're probably looking at somebody who's either currently out of unemployed or, you know, sort of like open to just sit, screw it. I'll, I'll roll the dice for for a year. But in terms of the system. I mean, you know, he seemed to be all in on this power running and then react accordingly from there. Yeah. So I guess it would be some of that. But look, I mean, history says he's going to bring somebody he knows. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, no, yeah. it, it kind of also reminds me of how these guys were in tw- heading into the 2019 season, right? That was the Todd Bowles year where they wanted him as defensive coordinator. They ended up keeping Minuski because they couldn't get Todd Bowles. Sounds right. the, the short end of that. And so, like, you know, I don't. Maybe they just keep. Maybe they just do that. They explore their options. They don't like what they could see in front of the upgrade, and they just keep Scott. I, I wouldn't be surprised at that's, that either. That's really an inspiring thought. It's <laughs> well, the way it works sometimes. Yeah. Oh, I know, especially around these parts. So no. I have a job. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did a. I did something today on 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 the athletic about like what's led to where they are right now over his three years. Um, the various decisions made along the way. And in terms of the staff aspect, like I said, that one of the things I think was ultimately proven to be a poor choice is that while all those coaches, I'm sure, are fine at their job individually, but you brought back, you brought over 11 guys, give or take, from a Carolina staff that in the nine years there, they had a winning record uh, three times. And they won, they had more seasons with six and seven wins than they did making the playoffs. Well, yeah. You, you you brought it up here, and it is the same thing, more or less. And, and to that extent, like, and I know Del Rio is new, and Martin Mayhew is from outside, but at the same, you know, in general, we all recognize yeah. it's Carolina North. And something has got to, to, to give on that. And I think the, his, his, his willingness to over and over go to familiar names, including this year with the guards, right? Andrew Norwell and, and Trey Turner. I'm not saying it was all on them, but clearly, the, you know, that, that didn't work as well as you would have liked. And he's got to get out of that, I, I, I would say. Yeah, I've been a bit frustrated about how Ron has said, oh, this is my second chance of coaching. I'm going to learn. I'm going to progress and uh, do things differently. And and there's a lot of proof that says he hasn't done that at all. He's just brought over his buddies and kept with the status quo. And that's a shame when you get a second chance in a new franchise and then you just copy and paste a lot of your methods and your staff. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting during the Vikings week, a story that got scrapped, I was working on something uh, on Kevin O'Connell, and I was talking to Jay Gruden about his decision to hire him. He probably talked about it on this podcast, too, said something similar. But when they made the decision to bring in Kevin O'Connell as the quarterback's coaches, he said that he actually wanted someone from a different tree. He wanted someone from Belichick's tree to, to kind of pick the brain and see how they do things there and wanted someone well-versed and... You know, I don't know necessarily as smart as some of these coaches are. They certainly know more than football than us. But, like, I don't know if you could say necessarily the same thing about this staff. Yeah. And also, like, look, when, when one guy has all the power, you you know, it's hard to, like, I mean, look, Ron seems like a pretty reasonable guy. And he clearly seems to go out of his way to get to get various opinions, maybe almost too much, as we've seen in the last uh, week or so here. But, you know, if you know you're sort of beholden to that guy, it's a little hard to, like, maybe show some disagreement or I don't know anything. So it becomes a lot more group think I, maybe that's incorrect, but it feels like there's, there's some of that that's been going on here uh, for sure. All right, let's just get to the game really quick. I, I, we don't care about the game. I mean, 
Washington's trying to win. Hopefully, like you said before, hopefully some of these younger guys will get in there. Uh, but it, other than Sam Howell, who I will say this, I'm legit excited. I'm more excited to see Sam Howell play than the other two guys all year. Not because it's the unknown rookie, but I liked Sam Howell at Carolina. Um, I was just talking to Logan Thomas in the locker room, and he was saying, like, the guy's got an arm. Like, his, you know, mm-hmm. you can feel the difference. So I'm legit curious to see what he can do. Anybody else? that you expect to play more or even if it's somebody who we've, we've seen play, but let's like, you know, somebody who you're maybe just excited to, you know, get a look at one more time. Who, who's that guy for you? Hey, I mean, you're really stretching us here, but, um, <laughs> All right, yeah, it? I mean, it's really, it's Chris Paul. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, he's it's probably a, the honest answer. Yeah. It's not the most glorious position to watch. Maybe Percy Butler, if he gets more defensive snaps, yeah. That's a guy who runs around very fast and plays very ferociously. All right, well, let me ask you this that's, then. That's all that's right. Let me ask you this then. To spin it ahead, based on what you've seen from this year, who is a guy that you're excited to see when we get back to the summer? Because that's always interesting to see who's made some kind of a leap, whether it's in their physical transformation or, you know, they added more skills. Like, at this point last year, I would have not have assumed that Derek Forrest would have become an impact player the way that he was. So who is somebody then that you're looking ahead to next year that you're thinking, yeah, I'm going to be really curious to see what this person looks like in April, July, August, et cetera? I think partly but Percy Butler is the answer for that, too. I mean, maybe it's just lazily kind of using the Derek Forrest model, but that was a guy that they really talked up after they drafted him. And Rivera has kind of made reference throughout the season of, like, you know, special teams is important to his development. Like, you can really see him develop. And so maybe he is that kind of long-term or, you know, backfield option and using him. So I'm pretty intrigued by him still. I'm giving up hope. My obvious answer would be Brian Robinson. Randy Jordan talked to us today and, and explained how Robinson can get better as a pass catcher and also be more of a, instead of the 15, 20 yards being the top of his ceiling, more of a 35-yard, 50-yard. You know, he's never going to pull away from people, but Randy feels like there have been some runs where he could have gotten even more. Um, but a more under-the-radar choice, I think, is Armani Rogers, uh, a, a guy who we knew nothing about and who was at a different position at this point last year, has, has come in and shown most so, mostly earlier in the year, but some very intriguing skills at tight end and uh, maybe is going to be the Samus Reyes that actually pans out, a guy who is learning that position and can become something good and hopefully won't end up playing defensive end no. for the <laughs> NFC, NFC North squad like Samus has. But I, I think tight end is a spot with Logan taking a step back this year. Maybe that was just injury reasons, but they need some help there. And John Bates is a great blocker, but he's not going to do much in an all-around role. I think Armani Rodgers could be that uh, fun, high upside player. Uh, I like it. Do you think by the time we get to next season, we will have a definitive answer on what color Matt Paris' sweater is that, that Pete tweeted out a picture of today? It's a, yeah. Somebody said it's been through the wash about 600 times. Uh, honestly, it ha- I've probably had this sweater maybe close to 10 years, and so someone said faded brown, and I'm sticking with brown. It, it looks more purple now, but... Uh, I think it's purple. What did Deami Brown end up saying? Purple? Yeah, he said he said, he said purple. I think he said purple. Yeah. So Mark and Michelle was like, "That's purple on his phone." My girlfriend said it was eggplant, like that tone of color, shade of color, and uh, that. I think that works. That that kind of works. And, and this Paris is, just wanting everybody to know he has a girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> then there's. She definitely exists. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right. Well, so we you know that Paris's off season plans will involve going to Canada. Um, <laughs> uh, Absolutely. All right. I appreciate it. You guys rock. Uh, And not just for this. I appreciate all the time throughout the season. 
again, go 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 read their stuff. Uh, appreciate everybody check out the podcast. Uh, we'll be back uh, after the game for more. Until next time, see ya.